Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,118. This week on Cars Yeah, I'm celebrating the Ironstone Concours that takes place on Saturday, September 22nd at the spectacular Ironstone Vineyards in Murphy, California. To learn more, visit ironstoneconcours.org and I'll see you there. I try to find out, you know, what are the links, what are the connections? I just want to know who's doing what and why. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in all the way from Across the pond in England, Carl Ludvigson. Carl, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I certainly am. It sounds exciting. Absolutely. Carl Ludvigson lives in Suffolk, England, and is respected as a close and knowledgeable observer of and participant in the world of motor industry. In addition to his activities as an executive at GM, Fiat, and Ford, and the head of a consulting company, he has been active for over 60 years as an author and historian. As an author, co-author, and editor, he has some five dozen books to his credit, most concerning cars, drivers, racing, and technology, which is his lifelong passion. Many of his books have been garlanded for their high standards of writing and research. His newest book, Reed Railton, A Man of Speed, is a two-volume set that tells the story of Cheshireborn Reed Anthony Railton, an engineer par excellence, and his life creating an extraordinary range of cars. So, Carl, I've told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you, and I'll let our listeners know I have dozens of Carl's books on my shelf. Really, really love the books you write. Please take a moment to share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles. Well, it's been a peculiar career, Mark. I've been partly in the industry for about 20, 25 years. I've worked for Ford, GM, and, and Fiat at various times, and I ran a consulting company in England for about 15 years, working with motor companies, suppliers, etc. I took time out from writing books uh, to be immersed in the motor industry, which I really enjoyed. I found interesting careers in the business, and I, I kind of feel that Having had experience uh, working for car companies and suppliers and consulting with them, that's enriched a bit my ability to understand what goes on behind the scenes. And that's what I like to tell my readers. I'm interested in telling them why and how things happened. A lot of books will tell you what happened, but they don't give you the backstory. They don't give you the insight into why people did things, who did them, how did that happen, what might they have done that was different. And that's what interests me. I like to know uh, those things, and I think my readers like to know them as well. Well, absolutely. I mentioned to Carl in our pre-show chat that that's probably the key thing I love about his books is he helps me understand things I don't understand and gets behind the curtain, if you will, kind of the Wizard of Oz, I guess, in the automotive world to kind of get behind that curtain and, and tell us what's going on. Well, I'm very excited to have you here as we continue on your journey. I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying or thought that's been important in your life, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Carl, take the wheel. 
Well, I think um, perhaps uh, curiosity is what uh, has driven me in, in my work and my life. I've always been a curious person. I want to know what's happening, why is it happening, who's doing what. Is it? My wife jokes about the fact that if I'm standing somewhere and there's a, there's a push button on the wall, I will push it. <laughs> I don't, I, don't I, I, you know, I'm very curious. I want to know what's going to take place and what's going to happen. And uh, that's, uh, I, and so that drives me in my writing. Uh, I try to find out, you know, what are the links? What are the connections? I just want to know who's doing what and why. Uh, and that, so I think curiosity is what has contributed a lot to my life and my work. And, um, and I hope it comes through to my, uh, to my readers. Oh, it absolutely does. It reminds me of my father, who was an architect, and every time he took us anyplace, he would always look around the room and ask, why did they do it that way, or how did they do that, or what is holding that up? And it's something I've carried through my life every time I go anywhere. Sometimes it's almost a burden, because I'll be asking all these questions, and like your wife, my wife will just roll her eyes and go, it's just the way it is. Let's just get on with it and enjoy the day, but... It's fun to understand how things work, and especially in the automotive world, and that's one of the things I love so much about your books. Well, let's go back in time and talk about a story that instigated your personal passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you think back when you knew you were going to be a car guy? I suppose um, it was my association with my father. My father was an executive in the motor industry. He became the uh, vice president of Fuller Manufacturing. They made uh, transmissions for heavy trucks. And when I was a youngster, I would go down to the the Fuller factory with him on Saturdays, and we'd go through the shops, and I'd look around, get get to see what was happening. And of course, he got all the automotive magazines of the day: Automotive Industries, Commercial Car Journal, uh, SAE Journal, and so on. He'd bring them home, and I would uh, have a look at them and see what's happening. And uh, he certainly helped introduce me to the intrigues and interests of the world of automobiles. And we, with my buddies, we would go down for the introductions of new cars and collect all the brochures in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which was my hometown. And uh, so I, I have to blame him for my uh, involvement with cars. Uh, it certainly was uh, his inspiration. And when I went to university, I had in mind uh, engineering, and I went to MIT to study mechanical engineering, so I kind of expected to be going in that direction. I did kind of veer off in another another way. I, I then went to a Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York, which was for industrial design, and I met people there who subsequently have been active in car design. So I, I learned a bit about engineering, about design, and the combination has served me very well, actually, over the years uh, to uh, know people and know how these different techniques work in, in the automobile world. Oh, fantastic. Wonderful. What a wonderful thing for a young man to get to go through a plant where they're building mechanical things like that and get to see the inside of how all of this stuff works. So We were kind of an automotive town. Kalamazoo was also the um, place where checker cabs were built. The checker ah, cab yes. was, uh, they, 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 their factory was just uh, down the road from Fuller, and we would see prototypes of future checker cabs running around Kalamazoo. So, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of a car uh, enthusiast town in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in La Jolla, California, and my neighbor across the street 
Her mother had a checker cab, which was very, very strange for someone to have a checker cab back in the uh, 60s and 70s, and she used to give all of us kids a ride to school. It was actually an old retired cab, so it still had the little meter thing in there. We always thought that was great fun to get a ride in the back of to school. So Very cool. Very yeah, cool. Very fun. Well, let's take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down, you've been down in your life, and talk about a big challenge or a big failure you face. These things are important because they teach us valuable lessons. So walk us through one of those, if you will, and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you moved forward in your life. Well, I think the uh, a coupled decision, if you will, one was uh, my move to England. Um, I had a choice of different uh, opportunities at the time. That was around 1979. And I, uh, uh, John DeLorean wanted me to go to work for him in his new wow. car company. And I was uh, friendly with John. I did a, lot, did a lot of consulting work with John. I was kind of intrigued by that, but also Bob Lutz uh, uh, was interested in having me come to join him at Ford of Europe. So I had wow. a kind of a big fork in the road there. I decided to go to uh, to England, but the the and that was a positive decision because I decided I liked living in England and uh, enjoyed living here. And also the time with Ford was very formative. I learned a lot in depth. I was in a very senior position there. And I learned a lot about the industry. And then Ford decided they wanted me to go back to the USA. And I thought, mm, been there, done that. <laughs> and uh, I decided to set up a an independent consulting company. And that was, I guess, my big step into, into the unknown. I felt not entirely unknown because I'd done a little consulting before when I was a writer, freelance writer. And uh and so on. But it, it was a big, big step to uh, put up my shingle and say, hey, I'm available and I'd like to do some consulting work. I did that for about 15 years, uh, working with motor companies, suppliers, uh, government bodies, anybody who needed help in making decisions about their businesses, uh, we could help. And so we, we built up a pretty substantial business to doing that. I think I can count that as a, as a challenge a very challenging decision to, to take, to set up on my own, but it was a successful one in the end. You know, it's fantastic. And I would ask you to share a little bit more with some listeners out there that might be considering a very big, bold move like that. It's very scary uh, getting out of the so-called comfort zone of working for a company, which we all know isn't really a comfort zone. You think it is, but you could end at any time. But what would be your, your brief little... Uh, advice for somebody who is thinking about doing that and going out on their own? I think what's most valuable and what gives you the most confidence and what also is most interesting to a potential employer is if you have some kind of real specialization. If there's something in your life that you really work to get to know really well and perhaps know a lot better than a lot of other people, maybe because it interests you or it's something that you think is good for you professionally. But, but uh, of course, I can say that because that's what I've done. I've specialized. Uh, I specialized in my writing and specialized in my work in motor companies and so on. So I think 
you, you want to develop something special, particularly strong that you know better than most folks because you've studied it and been, you're interested in it and you've really spent time to get to know it and uh, perfect your knowledge of a particular uh, aspect of, of uh, work and life. I recommend trying to be, be a specialist in, a, in an area that interests you. Great advice. Great advice. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum, the aha moment in your career. I think you've had a bunch of those because you've done so many diverse things, different things. Uh, you launched into writing books. You worked for different companies. You di- moved to different countries. I mean, what a nice rounded life. But is there a big aha moment that stands out for you that you could share? Well, I like to th- I like to say that I've never had a job interview in my life. <laughs> nice. Uh, I've never I've never interviewed for a job. I mean, I, that's not quite true. I I did speak to Mercedes Benz about becoming their uh, U.S. Uh, PR man, which mm-hmm. was an interesting uh, offer. That's when I worked for General Motors uh, in public relations, and I, I I was intrigued by that. But that time, I felt GM was still the company I would want to be working for, and mm-hmm. and so forth. I did I I did uh, I suppose an important moment really is. Um, that after five, five and a half years with GM, I couldn't find a job in General Motors for a person enthusiastic about cars. I know that sounds strange. What? (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot different today. This was back in the um, sort of uh, Mm mid-60s. And uh, there were a lot of people running around, and they were all doing things, and doing things very well. I enjoyed working for General Motors, but my particular brand of enthusiasm uh, didn't didn't find a niche very easily at GM, I have Uh to say. In fact, at GM, I... While I was working at GM, I was freelancing for car and driver because I just, you know, my my interests weren't really fully absorbed by the uh, activity at General Motors. So leaving GM is what I did. I looked around and uh, thought, you know, what I had several offers of different things in the corporation to, to do. But uh, they didn't really uh, fire my machine. And so I, I thought, well, I have a pretty good ability to describe how things work and wh- how machines and systems and things uh, work to, in, in terms that people can understand. Uh, so I have a proven ability to do that. And I thought, well, here I am in the mid-60s. I think the next 20 years are going to be a period of phenomenal technical and scientific development. There's going to be a need for somebody to explain that to people, and uh, so I'm going to going to go freelance uh, based on that as as a, the reason for doing it, and and that turned out pretty well. I mean, it was you know, in any freelance life, as you know, is an interesting one, it has its ups and downs, but uh, it, that's when I really started writing serious books and also working for people like uh, Motor Trend and uh, Motor in England and Auto Car and magazines around the world and so on. So I managed to build that into a pretty decent uh, living. Yeah, absolutely. You come across as a man that does not like to sit still. You've got to stay busy, right? You did nail that. That's true. I mean, I'm not (laughs) obsessive about work, but uh, I have the great, great pleasure of enjoying what I do. I love what I do. It fascinates me, and uh, there's always some project or some new thing coming around the corner and uh, they're they're, uh, they're I do like to keep uh, keep moving and keep a lot of things on the go. I have books and articles planned for years into the future. I hope I get a chance to write them all. 
Well, there you go. Well, that's a great golden nugget that uh, we've been dropped here by Carl, and that is find things you love to do and keep yourself busy because uh, that is the secret sauce to having a fulfilling and enjoyable life. And we're going to talk about your new book in a moment. But first, I want to ask you about your first really special car in your life. Is there a car, when you think back, the first one that had great meaning for you? And maybe you could share a memory about that vehicle. I'm very fortunate uh, in a way. When I uh, graduated from high school, my father uh, treated me to a car. That uh, was the first car I, I owned. It was an MGTC. Oh, wow. I have to say I started out with a really, really interesting car. Yes. And um, we, it, it was over in Chicago. I must have, must we probably found it in the Chicago Tribune class, classified section. I don't know. It was a 49 TC. It was in quite nice shape. And, um, and we went over and picked it up in, uh, in Chicago. And that was that was a really nice thing for him to stake me to a uh, to a car. And the TC was a car that I'd always just loved from the first time I saw a picture of one. I thought, wow, what a great looking automobile! And that was in that was in a, a issue of Fortune magazines. Believe it or not, they did a big spread back in 1947 on all of the European cars, and they had a picture of the side of the MGTC, which is just absolutely breathtaking. Great. Yep. Oh <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I had the pleasure of, uh, of having that as my everyday car, and I did a bit of racing in it. I went up to Thompson, Connecticut, uh, several times and, and raced with the car, did some rallies and various things, and uh, so I, I had a great, great time with the MG. That was uh, that kind of got me started and uh, and car activity at a at a pretty decent level. No doubt. When I was six years six years old, my father bought a 49 MGTC, and it was his first sports car. And I, it was right-hand drive. I remember loving sitting in that left-hand seat. Oh, wonderful. Like, like yeah. I was the driver. And uh, <laughs> I'll send you a picture of that car. I think it'll put a smile on your face. It's, oh, uh, it certainly will. I'm happy to say that my TC is alive and well. It's in uh, Massachusetts. A friend of mine, Alex Dearborn, has the car. He's oh, wow. restored it. He's restored it, and he's uh, sort of fixed up with the gubbins and things, uh, the special exhaust and yeah. the lamps and things that I had on it when I had the MG. So, And he's taken it back to Thompson, Connecticut, and on special days uh, up there. So the car is still in circulation. I'm very wow. happy to say. That, yeah, is very, that is very cool. Well, is there a car you've owned that you let go that you really wish you had back in your garage, the old seller's remorse, tear in the eye? Well, I had a uh, 1952 Maserati uh, sports car. Now, uh, that's, uh, I'll, just, I'll just have a minute here to uh, show you that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. This is a car. That is beautiful. These are, these are the takeouts from a uh, road and track story that I wrote about it. Uh, wow! Uh, at the time, and it was it was a proper racing car, which uh, I uh, used in in joined the Vintage Sports Car Club of America and raced the car at various places: Thompson, Bridgehampton, and so on. Beautiful. And uh, it was a fabulous uh, automobile. It's, it's still in circulation. There's there are only one or two cars like that. It was kind of a transition car for Maserati. They were going from one type of design to another, and these are the cars they built in the interim that uh, to, to to move into a different uh, design. And wow. uh, so I I did part with it. 
uh, I had acquired another sports car, and I wanted to kind of concentrate on that. So, yep. you know, I, I guess I feel I'm a, um, a serial collector of cars. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of cars over the years, and, you know, one after another. So sure. I don't have them all at the same time. I'm, I have a pretty big collection but of interesting cars, but uh, I don't have them all. At the, uh, simultaneously. Well, you got the experience, and that's even more important. It's a beautiful <laughs> right. car. I'll have our listeners know. Uh, we're Skyping here uh, from uh, Washington State to England, and uh, he was nice enough, Carl's nice enough to bring a picture down and show me on Skype. So you can look up that car online and check out what we were uh, having the joy of seeing. Well, I would love to talk about this new book that you've just put out here. It was back in July when it came out. Reed Railton, Man of Speed. Now, tell our listeners about Reed a little bit and about why you chose this subject matter for this huge two-volume book. It's absolutely brilliant. The uh, man uh, is uh, responsible for designing the car that, in my opinion, is the finest automobile design ever created, which is the car that John Cobb used to break the land speed record in 1938, 39, and 1947. It's a four-wheel drive, teardrop-shaped car, every square inch of which is packed with fantastic design solutions. It's brilliantly conceived as as an overall design and in its detail design. He left the land speed record uh, at an average of uh, 397 miles per hour in 1947 and with a 403 mile an hour run in one direction. So I've always been impressed by the car and by Railton's uh, capability of, uh, of envisioning it. And when I wrote the book, I uh, looked up what people said about the car when it was unveiled in the beginning of 1938, and uh, people were stupefied by by the car. They said, this is like a 21st century car. uh, We we can't even imagine how he uh, succeeded in, uh, in, in, in conceiving this automobile. That was a spur for my interest in Reed Railton, and then then I got more involved in him, and I wrote a story about him for um, Automobile Quarterly uh, magazine. I, I wrote a, a piece uh, for AQ when it was in its heyday, uh, a profile, and uh, his daughter, who lives in uh, the Boston, Massachusetts area, ran across that story. And uh, at a certain point, she got a bug in her ear about uh, uh, having a biography of her father written. And uh, so one thing led to another, and we got together, and uh, she uh, sort of prompted me, really, to get into depth about Reed Railton's life. And it's a fantastic life of uh, working with a great uh, designer driver, uh, Perry Thomas, in at, at, at Brooklyn's track in England, designing and building his own sports car, um, being chief engineer of the company at Brooklyn's that designed and, and built many record-breaking cars for uh, the, the top drivers of the day. And then um, uh, working with Malcolm Campbell, he designed the Campbell's cars that were the first to 250 miles an hour and then to 300 miles an hour. Uh, so he kind of warmed up with Campbell before he got involved with uh, John Cobb. 
His first uh, John uh, John Cobb job was to build a a long distance record car, something you'd use to break 24 hour records and so on, which he did very successfully. And that car was a, a very great success and is still around at Brooklands today. And then uh, after the war, he got involved in water speed records. Uh, he helped Campbell break the world water speed record, and he was working on a car for uh, John Cobb as uh, a, bo- a car, sorry, a boat for John Cobb as well. So his career spread over many years. He was a consultant for Hudson as well in America. He spent a couple of months at the Hudson offices every every year working with them on different issues and topics and during the war he helped um, a British company that was making uh, uh, light patrol boats uh, with engine designs from uh, California and so forth so he he had an extremely varied and uh, and and dramatic career and it was it was a great great pleasure to research it and, and write about it well, no doubt. I had um, Alan Wind, a director of the Brooklyn's Museum, as a guest here on Cars, yeah, and he sent me a wonderful picture of him on a beach in a Napier Railton that was just a magnificent car. I mean, it looks like a rocket ship. That's the car. That's the that's the first one that he that he built. It it looks like an ordinary racing car, but it's half again as big. <laughs> oh, it's huge! It's huge! It's and huge! It's with huge, the cow yeah. with the cowling off the motor, the the engine yeah. underneath that thing is just magnificent. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, typical of uh, of me maybe um, in the book, uh, the Napier twelve uh, cylinder engine plays a big part in, in uh, Railton's work. He used it for that car. And in the John Cobb record breaker, he used two of them. So in the book, I have a, an appendix that tells all about the Napier engine <laughs> because I think it's so important. I couldn't just say, well, you know, this is the engine. I, I had to put in the details and explain how it was built and what it was used for and how it was engineered. So you get a little bonus. Uh, and of course, I also had to put in a bit about George Easton's record-breaking car. He had a Thunderbolt in 1938 at Bonneville. These two guys had a shootout for the fastest car. Cobb, that was the first year Cobb took the car out to Bonneville. Cobb broke 350 miles an hour with it. And then Easton went out with his car, and I think he went, he went 357. So that's kind of where they left things. And, and, and people who were there said it was unbelievable seeing these two guys with these giant racing cars, you know, going after each other at more than 300 miles an hour. It was quite a, quite a spectacle. It's hard to imagine cars of that age going that fast. Don't you think so? I think it is, it is amazing. It is yeah. amazing what they did in those days. It really is. You get anywhere north of 175, 180, and things start to change really quick, and things go bad really fast as well. And having had Danny Thompson on this show and Louise Noeth, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the, the problems with the salt, uh, great organization, Save the Salt of Bonneville. They're trying to get that place back to norm. And Danny, having broke the uh, new record in his dad's 50-year-old car, I mean, it's just... That's it's so amazing what yeah. he did. It's unbelievable. It's yeah. just that he proved that the car had that uh, potential uh, to do that. It was yeah. really outstanding. Yeah, there's a great video yeah. on YouTube of him in cockpit showing the input he had to put into that car because the degradation of the salt has become so challenging for the drivers that uh, Luis said that if the salt had been of the same quality that his dad ran on, he would have gotten much faster. 
Um, but uh, it is what it is. And the Save the Salt org is a great organization trying to bring that back. Just to mention, this is not a new issue. I was editor of uh, Car and Driver back in 1960-61, and uh, one of our correspondents was Griff Borgeson. And Griff went out to the, speaking of, you know, big uh, land speed record efforts, uh, he, he went out there for the, uh, the, the battles between uh, Mickey Thompson and uh, Donald Campbell. And at that time, Griff uh, was very, very aware of the problems that uh, were occurring with the salt. And he wrote a, an open letter to Morris Udall, the Secretary of the Interior, which we published in uh, Car and Driver. And in fact, I sent that recently to Louise to, to show her the, the history of, uh, of the efforts to try to get people to pay attention to this unique uh, asset. And of course, uh, whenever people ask Reed Railton, about uh, the potential maximum speed of cars, he said it depends on the, the venue. He said it depends on the distance available. Uh, if, if, if we have enough distance, we can go faster. Uh, he said we're really limited by the length of uh, the venues that we have uh, available. Absolutely. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was key, in fact, in uh, the change from Daytona to uh, Bonneville. Reed, Reed uh, was, um, how shall I say, he was romanced by Ab Jenkins, who was the uh, mayor of uh, Salt Lake City for a while. And Jenkins is the guy who promoted the uh, value of the Salt Flats as a, as a place to set records. And he set a lot of records there, but he was very keen to have the British come and go and, and, and set records as well. He, sure. he, he thought that would be great. You know, he didn't mind having the competition. Yeah. And uh, he went wildly out of his way. He sent movies to Railton. He came down to Daytona when Railton was there. And, you know, and, and really, without uh, visiting Bonneville, Railton recommended to John Cobb that he take his uh, – his uh, long long distance record breaker out there, and he was the first. They were the first British team to go to 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 Bonneville. Wow! So uh, without Railton's intervention, that might not have happened. Wow! What a fascinating story. Very very cool. We'll remind the listeners at the end of this talk where you can get your hands on a copy of this fantastic new book, Reed Railton, Man of Speed. But I have an introspective question for you, Carl. If you were a manifested into a vehicle, what would Carl be, and why? <laughs> well, I'd like to be a Porsche, really. <laughs> I kind of thought you might say that. I, I, I suppose that's a, that's a, that, that I, I'm very, you know, I've followed Porsche over the years and uh, looked at, at the way they've developed cars and, and their, the attitude they've taken. And uh, I'm, I'm so happy and so uh, satisfied with the way in which Porsche has continued in the modern era to make uh, really outstanding driver's cars. Porsches are cars made for drivers. I'm referring yep. to the Porsche sports cars. And, yes. and, and, and even if you want a SUV that's drivable in a serious way, Porsche has that for you as well. So, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it's for a sedan, you know. But but their, their sports cars are really uh, consistently uh, terrific. And I, I I don't know which Porsche I would be because uh, there are so many good ones. But the one I really like is the Cayman. The Cayman, Porsche ah, Cayman. It's for yes. me uh, the ultimate proper uh, sports car. I just uh, I just love it. 
We'll call you a GT4 then. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds <laughs> fine. Came for, a GT4. I'd like that a lot. There you go. Well, Carl, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kids spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom patterned for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, Carl, we're back and we're entering the last lap. A little bit of a lightning round here. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that Cayman throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Best automotive advice is is before you buy the car, make sure you know where you can get it serviced. <laughs> very <laughs> common is, sense. This yes, is, this is this is. I bought a lot of exotic cars in my lifetime, but there are very few that I bought um, without having thought ahead of time, where am I going to get somebody to work on this car? Because that is the crucial question. Uh, And I'm very lucky where I live. I have some excellent uh, people in the area who can take care of any kind of car that you you, uh, name. But that's, that's been my mantra. That's very smart. Now, would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes? Um, I seem to have a pretty good ability to think ahead about what the challenges will be in undertaking any big task. And I think this worked very well for me at, uh, as a consultant. As a consultant to, to the industry, we took on a number of, of projects, uh, naturally, when people come to us and ask us to do things. 
My contribution, more often than not, was to be thinking as hard as I could and as productively as I could about the challenges we would face. How would we staff that? What would be the difficulties? How could we look ahead to how we're going to solve this person's problem in a proper way? I think I have an ability to do that, and I can I can do that also, of course, in my present line of country with uh, writing. And because if I take on a book of some kind or an article, I have to think: mm, Do I have the pictures? Do I have the information? If I don't, where can I get it? I kind of need all that, and and the fact that I'm inclined to operate that way rather than just sort of plunge into it. I I think I'm pretty good at looking ahead at uh, sorting the problems in advance. Well, speaking of resources, is there one in particular that you have you'd like to share? I had a big automotive library. I don't have it anymore. It's with the Collier people in Naples, Florida, and they're making very good use of it. And the Revs Institute uh, in California have my former holdings, and I recommend them to anyone interested in car photography, for example. There's one uh, resource that's the American uh, Aviation uh, Engine uh, Institute people. They have a website about about aviation engines that is just a, a drop-dead resource. So that's a, an obscure resource, but I'm very interested in engines, and I'm interested in aviation engines. Nice. And uh, that's a website that is uh, really outstanding and well worth a look if you're at all interested in, uh, in, in fine technology and uh, information about it. Very cool. Now, if I could wave a magic wand and arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? Well, I I wouldn't mind going back to have a, another chat with John DeLorean, actually. Uh, I had a lot of uh, time for John. He was a, a fascinating person to be with and to discuss things with. Um, very broad-based view of the industry. I enjoyed uh, working with him, and uh, I'd, I'd kind of like to bend his ear again about some of the things that he did and why he did them and uh, so forth. And, uh, I, and I know it would be enjoyable. Being with John was always interesting, never boring. The other, the other guy is Bill Mitchell, but Bill, Bill, I, 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 I was very lucky to spend a lot of time with Bill, director of GM styling staff, and uh, Bill was a kind of mentor to me in a way in certain things, and I learned a lot working with Bill, who was absolutely sparkling and dynamic uh, personality. So he was he, he looms large in my my past, I guess I would say. I would think that uh, those two gentlemen at a table. For an evening would be absolutely fascinating. Well, I always ask my guests about a book, but I really want to recommend this new book of yours, Reed Realton, Man of Speed. What's the best way for people to get their hands on a copy of this new book that you've written? Well, I think uh, the specialist booksellers, auto books in California, are very good. They carry uh, my books, uh, generally speaking. The, there's uh, in the Midwest. There's a very good um, dealer as well. Uh, the old reliable Amazon is uh, certainly a good place to get it. Uh, Amazon does carry Reed Railton, and I think their pricing is pretty good. So uh, I think I I suppose I'd say. You know, if you're in in the back of beyond, uh, head for uh, Amazon and uh, get it on their uh, website. There you go. I'll remind our listeners, I'll put links to everything that uh, Carl has shared today on his show notes page here on the Cars website. All right, Carl, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question could be a bit of a doozy. Today, 
I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. Doesn't matter what it costs, but there are a couple rules. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with. That's off the table. You've got to drive it and enjoy it, which I don't think is any problem for you. And uh, uh, it's the only one you can have in your garage. So this you got to pick carefully here because this is the car you're going to have to live with for a while. So what can I buy you today? I uh, wouldn't have any problem uh, with a Ferrari 250 GT short wheelbase Berlinetta. <laughs> yeah. We tested one of those at, at Car and Driver. That We did a road research report on it when, when these cars were new. Um, and I commend it to any <laughs> any uh, listener to look it up on eBay and get that issue. It, it was just, it was a breakthrough car for Ferrari. It had new features like disc brakes and uh, it had the most exquisite uh, Paninfarina styling. And the, the short wheelbase Berlinetta is, is a true artwork of car. I, I rate it much higher than the, than the uh, you know, much uh, discussed GTO Ferrari. GTO Ferrari is an interesting car. Uh, I've driven one, a very nice car, but uh, but the uh, the short wheelbase Berlinetta is just out of this world. I'd be very, very happy to have one of those in my garage. Well, no doubt. That's one of my favorites as well. I will get to work to see if I can find you one of those and Deliver it over there in the countryside of England. I think that uh, together we'd have a big smile on our face cruising through the countryside in a 250 short wheelbase. Well, Carl, you've taken me on a great ride today. I really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your amazing journey in the car world with the listeners here on Cars Yeah. Is there one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer us before you rip off into the sunset in that Ferrari 250 GT short wheelbase of Berlinetta? I don't. I know about. I think for all of us, we have a, a star that guides us in some way. And I, I've been lucky to have a number of people in my life that um, I was able to learn from. My father was very, very key in in his uh, his his guidance, and he he gave me a, a good advice about. For one thing, he said, learn German. <laughs> he, he, yeah, yeah. Said, he said, he said uh, you know, uh, German is the engineering language. And I, I don't know, I probably never would have thought of it in quite that way. But if I hadn't learned German, I wouldn't be writing the way I have about Mercedes-Benz and Porsche and various other uh, act about the racing of Auto Union and so on. And the life of Ferdinand Porsche, for example, which I've written about in great depth and uh, without the ability to understand and, and speak German. That would be a pretty big task. Yes. <laughs> so that's been my secret advantage, if I can put it that way, doing a lot of the writing that I've done. And, and the, the German has, has, uh, has served me very well. My French isn't too bad, and my Italian is uh, serviceable. Uh, so <laughs> that, that's another reason that I, I don't mind living in Europe. I get a chance to use these languages. I've just come back from a holiday in Italy, and I can uh, make myself understood uh, pretty well, all, all things considered. So, and, and in fact, I suppose that's a good thing to mention. Learn languages. Learn yes. languages. And I, and I think... Uh, they're, they're always rattling around in my head, you know. I've got little phrases and things that come from <laughs> different languages, and including a bit of Latin that I, I learned at, at uh, Phillips Exeter. I, I would say that's, uh, that's and, and I suppose that helps keep me, keep the old gray cells uh, working, you know. The fact <laughs> no that, doubt. That, that, trying, to, trying to get these language phrases uh, operating properly. So I, I guess that wouldn't be a bad recommendation. 
Great advice. And do you have a website or is there a way for our listeners to follow along with what you're doing? Uh, well, there, it, I'm, I'm, I'm not following along tremendously well, but it's uh, at www.carlludvigson.com. There you uh, go. That's, uh, that's Carl with a K and S-E-N, and you, you're in, in, in like Flynn. There you go. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything Carl has shared, including his website on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Carl with a K, Ludvigsen, L-U-D-V-I-G-S-E-N, and you'll find that right there. And I want to thank Judy Stropas, a past guest, for connecting us. She put us together. Very nice of Judy. I got to uh, see her while I was in uh, Carmel during Car Week. Wonderful to run into her. Carl, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with my listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Mark, thanks so much. I really enjoyed being with you and with your listeners. Pleasure was all mine. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimball.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp., Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!